Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. All right. So this is before the conversation with Michelle and Michelle and I are going to talk about raising grounded, authentic children. We are not parenting experts. And like you'll hear me say throughout the conversation, and then I'm sure I'll address in the wrap up is that we are two women moving our way through the world. And um, there are possibly going to be shame triggers that are going to come up for you of, oh my gosh, you know, she does it so well and I'm such a bad parent, you know. And when we do that, we tend to shut down, or at least I know I do. And and that can even happen while I was doing this interview with Michelle. So it's just to remember what nuggets can you take that line up with you and it's not a blueprint, but what nuggets, as you listen to this conversation with Michelle and I, can you take and apply to live in your own life? All right, here we go. Hello and welcome back. My friend Michelle Woodward is the visiting co-host and she's an executive coach and just a very brilliant woman. And this is our fourth episode of eight episodes together. And today we are going to be talking about raising grounded, authentic children. And so Michelle, here you are, you work with, you know, CEOs and executives, and we're going to talk about children. Why is that so so important in the world of work? Well, you know, I think that everybody has a whole life. You know, you you have um, people ask me sometimes, you know, do you ever talk to your clients about things outside their work? I'm like, yeah, all the time, because (laughs) people are whole people. And, um, and the thing that often gives um, my clients the biggest joy and the biggest challenges are, you know, their children, their relationships with their children, the state of their children, their children's wellness, their children's illness. And plus, there's a lot to learn from being a good parent uh, that, that you can bring into your work. So I, I think it's a really huge and important topic. Well, you know, I mean, when you're a parent, you're a leader, so you're getting to practice leadership, right? And um, the and you're practicing having courageous conversations, which is something that you can do in the workplace when you get feedback. It's also a way to practice uh, circling back. Like this morning, I was thinking, I was thinking about my daughter who's 12, and um, you know, I I was like, wow, she's really trying hard, you know, to contribute and to be a giver. Um, Recently, I coach her. She's in my swim group and we did this whole, I facilitated this conversation about teammates and uh, givers and takers. And so, and I think that stuff really resonated with her. And so I've seen it affect how she is in the home space. And so now it's about me circling back and, you know, not, not her getting my approval, but it just me noticing and saying, Hey, I notice that you're really practicing, you know, contributing, being a giver to our family. And thank you for that. Um, And I think that's just an important thing because then that shows that, you know, I'm recognizing the small things because I I tend to go around saying small things matter. So it's about, it's an example, I guess, of me living what I say. Funny how that works, huh? (laughs) Oh, it's often a challenge. So with with raising grounded, authentic children, you have two kids who are now both adults. What... Yes, they are adults. They're both adults. Yep. When you first started out, did you feel like you knew what you were doing? Uh, no, I absolutely <laughs> didn't know at all what I was doing. But, you know, I think um, part of the consciousness uh, that I came into when I began doing work as a coach, you know, because one of the key things in coaching is to make sure that you, the coach, are pretty clear yourself so that you don't get confused between your stuff and, and your client's stuff, um, I became much more clear about uh, how I was as a parent with my, my children. And so I think one of the key things is to see your child as their own person, um, you know, not an extension of you, not a reflection of you, not a, you know, not a mini-me, 
but as, as this, this sovereign human being who you have the great good fortune of kind of shepherding for a period of their life. I, I mean, that was, that was kind of my conversation to myself. Um, is I'm just shepherding them for a short period of their life. And so what do I want that to be like for them? Um, and I think that makes a huge difference. What, what do you think of that? Does that make a ton of sense? Yeah, or, it makes a ton of sense. And I'm going, I'm sitting here with regret going, gosh, I wish I had um, thought about that. Because as you said it, you, we, we shepherd them for really a short period of their life. And I was like, you're right. I mean, it really is. I mean, 18 years, maybe 20 years. And, um, and we really manage them for even shorter than that, maybe 10 or 12 years. And then, you know, hopefully we'll be able to come back as their consultant where they'll share things with us. We'll be that safe place for them, but they're going to be going and figuring things out. So it is a really short period. So I'm kind of stuck on that. Um, I recently went, uh, I think you know this, but I went my daughter's uh, first year in college and they had parents weekend. So I went down for parents weekend and I was in the airport, um, you know, getting, waiting for my plane. And a couple walked up that I had known from my daughter's uh, middle school and high school years. And we were friends and we were, you know, just fell into conversation and they were on the way to parents weekend to see their daughter at a different college. And I said, well, how's she doing? And they said, well, we don't know. She's actually, she doesn't really have much time to talk to us. Mm-hmm. And they said, "Does Grace? You know, how do you do you ever do you ever hear from Grace?" And I actually didn't have the heart to say, "I hear from Grace every day." Mm-hmm. You know, it, and I think, but I think it's because, um, I don't know. I think she got that energy that I saw her as a human being, and that my um, my energy was, I'm I'm just sort of shepherding you for a period of time. That gives her the freedom to to decide what kind of relationship she wants. You know, it's interesting because I've always thought about something you said to me years ago about what is the kind of relationship I want to have when my child is 25. And I think at this time she was like 13 or 14, right? And what's the kind of relationship I want to have with my child when they're 40, 45, and then 50 years old? And I think all of a sudden that instead of like, okay, this is what's happening right here and now. And it seems so big and so important is what are the, how am I tending to this garden that's going to grow over the long term? And, um, you know, and so I think about like, how do I engage to have communication with the idea that I want to have that safe place for my kids when, as they grow, as they go into becoming teenagers, right. And I am this consultant in their life, um, where they're going to feel safe enough to come back and talk with me or when they leave our home in that there still be connection. Like how do we show up and connect with each other? So I think about that a lot now, but you know, early on as a parent, as a young parent, um, I don't think I thought about that. I was like trying to figure out how to get through the day. I think. Well, I think when they're little, <laughs> when they're, you know, when they're little teeny tinies, there is that kind of like, you know, they are so dependent on the you for so many things, mm-hmm. you know, for, for diapering and feeding and, and, uh, you know, everything. And then as I I once read that the parent child relationship is the only human relationship whose success ultimately depends on separation. You know, every other human relationship, the success depends on us coming together, but in parenting, especially I'm going to just say the mother child relationship, because so many of us, uh, when we've given birth or even when we've adopted, uh, you know, we are so close to that child. You know, we're anticipating that child's needs, um, but ultimately it depends, their success depends on their separation and their being, you know, their own person. And so, you know, it's I, I, the thing that um, I learned early on was uh, it's not my homework. <laughs> and, and at first, at first, my kids are like, "Mom, everybody's mother helps with the homework." I'm like, "Well, you know what? I already passed the third grade, so um, you know, you go ahead and knock yourself out with those multiplication tables or whatever." But my my point was is that I would tell them, "No, it's your homework. 
they would be sitting at the kitchen table. I would be wiping the same counter for 40 minutes, right? <laughs> because I was close by. I was doing something, but I was close by. So if they said, mom, how do you spell the word, the word relief? I would say, oh, the word relief. Relief is such an interesting word. Let me see. How would I spell that word? And meanwhile, they say R-E-L-I-E-F, right? So I'm there, I'm participating with them, but I'm not answering the question for them. And I'm, I'm empowering them to be in charge of their own work. So I, unless your child has got, and of course I parented a child with ADD. So, you know, if a child has significant disabilities or significant, you know, dyslexia, some sort of thing that you really do need to be at their elbow with their homework every night, I think you can actually... Uh, undercut a child's sense of, of personal mastery if you overly help them with their homework. Now, you may have a different point of view. I'd love to hear it. Oh, no. Um, so I was one of those kids we have in California that's a program called the GATE program. It's the Gifted and Talented. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought they made a mistake or my mom bullied them into having me in this program. I only found out, I don't know, probably eight or 10 years ago that no, actually... <laughs> Uh, a teacher recommended that I get this test. My mom knew nothing about it at the time. <laughs> but, um, you know, so for all these years, I thought I was a fraud in this program. But um, I remember in third grade, we had to do this. This is the one story I like to share. We had to do this California project, right? And everything, my whole life was everything has to be perfect. And in fairness to my mom, she grew up in a culture. She's Korean. She grew up in a culture where you had to be the best. If you wanted to succeed, you had to be the best to go on to the next best school. Otherwise, you were segmented out, right? And so this was her way of understanding the world. And I've done a lot of work to understand that. So I'm not blaming her. But so everything had to be perfect. I remember just like painstakingly rewriting everything until it was to her satisfaction, which was very, very high. And then the cover of this California project of this book that I made that my mom made actually was a paper mache of the state of California. And then it was painted and glittered. And I think the only thing I was allowed to do was kind of like sprinkle some glitter on it. And then it had saran wrap over it. Like I wasn't even allowed to touch this until the very last moment of walking it into the classroom. Wow. <laughs> right. And so here I had this very beautiful project and I'd done some of the inner work, but obviously not the outer work because I couldn't paper mache. And while it may have looked really good, it took away from my ability to have ownership. And so over time, the message was, the work you do is not good enough. See, this is what you have to do. And let me just, let me just do it for you, mm -hmm. right? And that wasn't her intention. And so with having kids and having, you know, two rounds of parenting for me, for kids, having a blended family, um, when my younger kid too came along, I just looked at them and I said, I hate homework. I did my homework. I went through grad school and, um, my bonus son is developmentally disabled, so there was some help that we had to do with him. But I said, don't, your homework is your responsibility. So you were much nicer about it. Like I was more, I hate it. Um, and I said, you know, we don't do things late. We do them on time. If you, if it's the last minute and you haven't done a project, then that's what you will submit. Like we have these boundaries. We're not going to create a lot of drama and nightmare situations the night before because time hasn't been figured out. So my kids, you know, they're, they're really good about getting their stuff done and there is that self-ownership. So like my youngest is in seventh grade now and on Tuesday she played basketball. She's on the seventh grade team and then she went to swim practice. And as we're driving to swim practice, I said, oh, you know, what, what's your homework status? Because essentially we're not going to get combed close to nine. You know, she's only been home for a little bit. And she said, oh, mom, you know, I got some homework done in class because some of her teachers allow that to happen. And then she said, I went to the library during school or during lunch and I got my other stuff done. So the only thing I have left to do is the clarinet. I was like, wow, this kid's kind of on it. So I actually really like them to have appropriate personal responsibility. If you understand that, it, you know, it's, it's what is age appropriate for them, but then, and they, my kids tend to flourish. Um, you know, they, they, my oldest, she's 14. She's liked to cook since she was like in third grade and I didn't know how to cook. And I think in some ways that was a huge gift for her because she could go and kind of, you know, be in that domain. Um, and so she's very comfortable in the kitchen and cooking and she really likes that. She likes being able to decide, you know, for certain parts of the day what she gets to eat with the food that's available to make something with. So for my kids, I think they get a sense of empowerment when, um, 
they get to do stuff. Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, again, a little shift as a parent is that it's not that, uh, oh, my poor pathetic child, you know, is having to do everything they're on their own. And now they're going to have to go to work. You know, if, if I don't watch it, they'll have to go to work in a factory, you know, like their mm-hmm. great, great grandparents did or something. It's like, it's this, it's this actual freedom to teach your child how to self-regulate. You know, as I said, my daughter's first year in college and had she not learned in high school how to manage her time, she would be totally lost in college. She tells me there are classmates of hers who are totally lost in college because they don't understand that thing that your daughter already gets. Gosh, two hours in my day just opened up. What mm-hmm. if I went and did my history work now? And then that will free me up tonight to work on that Latin vocabulary that I need to work on. Mm-hmm. Because that's also what we need in the workplace, Mm -hmm. you know, is that, you know, that you need to be able to say, hmm, that conference call that I had had blocked out from two to four is now off my desk. What do I need to do? Mm -hmm. So back to that other thing, what, what, not only what kind of relationship do I want for my, with my kids at certain ages, but actually what do I want for their lives? And I want them to be self-directed, self-regulated, um, self-aware human being. So what can I do today when they're three? What can I do today when they're 16 to help them get there? Well, and that's something I think that's really important to their dad and I is that, you know, they can, they can figure that stuff out because it's not like she got to seventh grade and I gave her a lecture and she did that, right? It was, what were the seeds that we were planting along the way? And it wasn't just us. I mean, my, my kids were fortunate. They went to a public school that was Montessori. So K through six. So there are those, they, they do these job tasks and stuff. So they're learning since kindergarten, how to get projects done, how to manage time, what jobs that they have to get, you know, they get done. And so when she got to seventh grade, you know, there's usually a lot of drama in seventh grade with kids. And how do you manage these seven classes and do this and that? And my kids seem to kind of seamlessly fall into that. Now, not saying that there weren't other areas that we've had to work on, but this time management stuff has seemed to be in this flow. And, and you know, we're, we're pretty busy people. So, um, but they're able to figure that out. And that part's been really important to us is that self-reliance bit. You know, I, I think I've shared this with you in the past, but I'll share it again in case any of the listeners are interested. But there's a definition of love that I've really taken to heart, and it comes from the theologian Henry Nouwen, uh, whose last name is spelled N-O-U-W-E-N. And he's passed away now, but he wrote, love is making a safe place for another person to be fully himself. I'm going to say that again because I love it so much. Love is making a safe place for another person to be fully themselves. And I think when I, after I read that and it kind of like, you know, powed me between the eyes, I realized what a great advice that is for parenting. Mm-hmm. Because if I really and truly love my children, then I'm going to make a safe place for them to be whatever they need to be this week. You know, and especially when you've got teenagers, you know exactly what I mean about this week. Mm -hmm. So this week they may be thinking that they're kind of punk goth (laughs) and they want to put, you know, blue food coloring in their hair. Or they may want to think, I'm not sure I want to be a Presbyterian anymore. I might be a Buddhist or whatever. I want to make a safe place for them to explore that so that they can, can, can be even more fully themselves, even if it means they disagree with me. And if you do have a child with, you know, um, dis, uh, developmental problems or, you know, struggles or challenges in some way, that they never get that feeling that they're less than because there's something that they struggle with, you know, make mm-hmm. a safe place for them to be fully themselves with ADHD or with dyslexia or with, you know, cerebral palsy or spina bifida or whatever is going on with them. It's just a safe place to fully accept whoever they are. And I I think children, I think adults too, but I think particularly children feel that loving acceptance. Um, And it makes it possible for them to go out and try things that stretch them, which ultimately is for the good. 
Yeah, that goes back to that garden, right? You've really cultivated this garden where the soil is rich to grow. And I think about when my kids were little, I mean, that's what they see in us, right? They, they just love us, our flaws and all. They don't, they're not worried about our imperfections as parents, right? They show up and, and I think about when my kids were little, right? And where I stood in their lives, I mean, they made a safe place for me to be fully myself. It didn't matter if my hair was sticking up one way or if this was that way or my clothes were on backwards. They just loved to be with me. It was two essences showing up. And how we can provide that when when they become older and continue that. Because when they're little, they're very cute, right? It's very easy to do. But at some point, there's triggers in us that it becomes harder because we're like, oh, no, you need to fit in. But creating that safe place where we can look at their strengths and say, this is how you contribute. Um, right. You know, or that you like to be around, you know, smaller groups of people. And when I was your age, I, I thought it was important to be, you know, popular and being at the cool kids table. And that's not where you want to be. And that's okay. Right. And, and, you know, like our, our previous conversation where we talked about values and how knowing your values makes life so much easier with in parenting, I think, uh, from my vantage point in making that safe place. For, an, for them to be fully themselves makes it really not about you when they make a decision to, for instance, not go to college right away mm-hmm. or to, you know, travel to Europe or, or to join the Peace Corps or something that you might think, oh, my gosh, that's not the choice I made. That's not the choice that anybody in my family's made. Um, and, you know, you as a parent get kind of thrown off. Sure, you can worry about their safety and, you know, worry if they're going to an Ebola country or any of that stuff. That's fine. But but to really say, you know what, this is how they are being themselves at this point. And because I love them, sure, maybe I'll express I'm a little concerned about you going to Liberia. But I'm also going to say this is how they need to be themselves. Yeah, and that becomes so important. So, um because of the work that I do and with my clients, right, who um, will really struggle because of values from their family of origin that um, are very strong and powerful. But now that my clients are, you know, adults and definitely well into their lives, you know, raising families or actually having, you know, kids that have moved moved out of the home, right, they really will struggle with the clash between the values of their family of origin and their own values, and so and some years ago, I was kept seeing this pattern come up with my clients because there was a gap. And I said, well, what are the values that are important to you? Because they didn't believe in some of their family's values, their family of origins values. And so I went to my husband after kind of seeing this pattern keep arising as there are themes with our clients, right? And, um, and I said, you know, we're really a very value-driven family. But at the same time, when our kids become adults, I want them to be able to realize that these values mean they may not fit them anymore and where they can have permission to go and see fit of which values do they want to keep and which other ones do they may want to go get. And um, so I, after I talked to him, I wound up speaking with my daughter and I can't remember how old she was. She may have been 10 or 12. And so I just, I, I talked to her and again, I've been planting these seeds consistently since then of, you know, we have these values And as you grow up, as you move on, I mean, this is what, these are the values that drive our family. These are kind of the principles that we live by, right? We are inclusive with, with people, Um, but that may not fit for you. And so when you become an adult and you're living on your own, you're going to get to say, these are the values that I no longer want, or maybe I want to tweak them so that they fit more here, right? In line with me and in having that space. So then fast forward to uh, the last summer, Labor Day weekend, my husband's, um, my older daughter's in my husband's group and he had them make these vision boards, which I thought was, I almost fell out of my chair when he was telling me he was going to do that. But, um, and then, and the, the day before he, he, they did that, he sat down with uh, the, ki- the kids in his group and they kind of did some goal work. And then he had them create these vision boards. And then at our team party, which I wasn't there because I was giving, talking to my group, and parents, he had the kids present their vision boards. And so, you know, it was very interesting, the differences between boys and girls, and and they spent probably 20 minutes on it. It wasn't this huge activity. But, um, and then 
my daughter got up to speak and some parents were very like uh, taken back, I guess, because she got up to speak and I can't remember what she put up there. But the big thing that she had was, and she was going into her freshman year in high school, she said, well, I don't know if college is going to be the one for me. I don't know if that's something that I'm going to do. And, and she had some other stuff. And so some parents were like really shocked and they looked at my husband to see how he was going to react because in our community, that's what you do. That's that next level of success. And, but, you know, that gave me some evidence that we have given her some space to be who she is and to check in. You know, does she want to go to college right after school? Does she not want to go to college at all? I mean, those are going to be discussions that we're going to be having. Whereas I grew up with very much the value of education, right? And I have this love for learning she may not have that same value. And that's something that, you know, we're going to be continuing to have discussions about, but allowing her have that space. And then for me, it's about working on my own courage of not going into that scarce place or that comparison place of, oh my God, her life's, you know, I could catastrophize. Unlike you, I'm really good at catastrophizing. So, <laughs> so you know, it's just about how can I stay grounded as she moves through this and have confidence in her that she will be able to create the life that she wants and where she can really flourish in her life. And it doesn't have to be in this one way. And I think that's a huge value of mine. But sometimes there's that conformity side that I can be a part of, if that makes sense. And isn't it interesting, too, that um, when I look back on my life, I look at the times when I've faced adversity, uh, where I've, you know, I've, I've had the odds stacked against me and I've made my way through. I look at those moments as the moments when I learned so much about myself and, and really feel kind of proud of myself that I made it through. And so how can I deprive my children of those moments arising in their own lives? You know, I, of course, I don't want my children to suffer a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean, I don't want them to like, I don't want them to suffer, but I do want them to grow their resilience, their sense of their own capacity. I want them to experience their own grit um, because ultimately that makes them a, a stronger, better person. Oh, I, I so agree with you. But I think sometimes we get into this mindset that, oh, for a really good parent or if, if you know, like the worthiness and you can tell me where if, if you think I'm wrong about this. But what I see is that the worthiness of our parenting is how clear do we keep that path for the child instead of preparing the child for the path? Um, and, you know, and then helping them move through the struggle. Like I always smile when I have friends who will say, and our kids are in high school, oh, well, we have homework tonight. And I, you know, I don't have that we stuff. There's no we about it. Now, will I check in? Will I help, you know, help support? Absolutely. Um, but there's no we. There's, there's just not. And, um, you know, I want my kids to be able to think and I want them to be able to manage. And I want, you know, I guess I really am trying and it's hard to be that consultant in their life versus managing and being the director in their life. You know, one of the best phrases that I learned when my kids were in, in high school, you know, because high school can be really super difficult, is they, they would come home and they would have, you know, um, something would have gone on during the day in the lunchroom or in PE class or somewhere where there really wasn't any kind of adult supervision, something difficult with a friend. And they would come back and they would say, you know, Tom punched me or Katie won't sit with me at lunch or, you know, and it was some whatever felt really big to them at the time. And I remember I learned to say to them, wow, that is really tough. That really sounds tough. What are you going to do about it? Oh, that's good. <laughs> you know, so you're empathetic. Wow, that really does sound tough. Mm -hmm. But then I turn it to say, what are you going to do about it? That means that I trust that they're going to come up with a solution. I don't need to give them a solution. I don't need to call Katie's mom. I don't need to give Katie's mom the stink eye when I see her in the produce section of the grocery store. I need to say to my kid, I need to get my kid ready to figure out how they're going to fix it. Because you know what? When they're 40, they're going to have to fix something. Mm -hmm. And so that whole thing, wow, that's really tough. What do you think you're going to do about it? What do you need to do about it? You can also take that into work. You know, so some, somebody comes into your office and says, you know, 
problem, 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 empathize, recognize that they're struggling with it, and then ask them, what do you want to do about that? I just think it's so, it's so recognizing the other Mm -hmm. in someone and, and kind of giving them, I have confidence in you. Mm -hmm. Well, and going back to my third grade homework, right? The California project, the message to me was the work I did wasn't good enough, Mm -hmm. right? Instead of, you know, what is your plan? What are you going to do with your project? Right. Right. And, and my mom thought she was, this was her way of being supportive. I mean, that's one of her languages of love is to do acts. And, uh, but unfortunately the message that came to me, but I love that question. What do you want to do about that? So instead of stepping in and fixing it, you're holding space, which, you know, for the listeners out there, it may seem like you're doing nothing by holding space, but Michelle, don't you think that's like one of the most important things we can do as parents? Yeah, because we don't want to undercut them and say they don't have they don't they don't feel like you were sharing, you know you don't feel like your work is any good, um, and you you want to empower them to, you know I I say this to clients all the time, you are the best expert on you that has ever lived, because the only person who's been in your skin for how many ever years you've been alive is you, so even if you have a very close close and vital marriage, even if you have a you know, a best friend, even if your your parents are still living, nobody has had your experience in life except for you. So you are the expert on you. And so when I recognize your own expertise in your own life, one, and your own expertise in your own field of expertise, if you're, you know, working or even if you're a kid, I mean, I'm sure your kid is a better clarinetist than you are, oh, right? Yes. <laughs> so, you know, so when I recognize the expertise in another person, it's actually a tremendous gift to them. It allows them to be seen for who they are, not for some, you know, cardboard cutout who, who we want them to be. And it makes a, a, an authentic, a centered, a grounded relationship. Well, and that's what we're talking about, right? How do we raise grounded, authentic children? And, you know, as you and I are talking about this, these are, we're two moms trying to figure out our way in the world. And there's not a blueprint. We, we take nuggets from different things, from things that we read, maybe from other parents. I mean, I've definitely had my share of nuggets from you. Um, and we practice that and we live it. And then I think not only is it important to have empathy for our kids to hold that space, but don't you think, Michelle, it's important for us to have empathy being the parent mm-hmm. for ourselves? Mm-hmm. Yes, I think empathy for ourselves and not feeling like we have to be Superman or Superwoman, you know, and be right all the time and never make mistakes. I mean, I think some of the most uh, brilliant parenting, if I can say it, uh, that I've ever done is coming back to my children 24 hours later after a conversation and saying, you know, I really thought about that conversation we had yesterday and I think I made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Here's where I made the mistake and I either I want to apologize or I want to discuss this further. You know, that is a vulnerability that our children can also learn from is that it's okay to say on reflection, I've, I've given, you know, I've gone over this more. I also think children really appreciate that. And anybody, you know, coworkers, spouses appreciate that you're thinking about them mm-hmm. and thinking about that interaction. So to be able to say, you know, on second thought, I, I really, I, I wanted to say this. I wanted to do that. I, I could have said it this way. I apologize. I'm sorry. And I think that that also gives the child a sense of freedom. That mm-hmm. I'm free to, to admit that I made a mistake too, mom. Well, and, go ahead. I think that's just the change like in parenting and in leadership, right? Cause we see this on both fronts, but, uh, it used to be, well, I'm the parent, you're the child, I know better, and it's just because I said it. And therefore, you must take it. Versus now, it's about, it's it's a cultivating a relationship. And don't you think that that's one of the reasons why Grace contacts you as she's moved away, is because you've created that space for her to show up? Right. And because, and she said something to me when I was there, she said, you know, um, a lot of kids don't call their parents. And she said, but I call you not because 
of anything other than I kind of want to talk about what's on CNN, <laughs> which is, but what, what I think what she's really saying is, is that we don't, we don't only talk about what she's done right, what she's done wrong, how she could do better. Mm-hmm. We talk about books and we talk about the news and we talk about flowers and we talk about um, everything as human beings. Um, not me being the font of all wisdom and her being the little sponge. And I, and I think that's, you know, again, you're teaching your children how to relate to the world. Um, so I think it's like having those conversations that are just about, you know, Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing um, what happens when, like, I just really like my favorite com- places to have conversations are in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, the things that are said, and I do think like that, there's kind of that parallel sitting. Um, and even last night it was so interesting because the dynamics have changed once again because m- both my daughters are now back at swim practice. So we were driving home and it was just fun. Like they were catching up on each other's day and talking about school. And I was like, what a nice space. Like, cause they were in that container for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. They talked about stuff versus when we're at home, there wouldn't have been something like that, that kind of a conversation that would have happened maybe a little bit, but they would have been, you know, off doing this or off doing that or doing homework and stuff. So being able to have that space or in a lot of our great conversations come in the car because we're just sitting there, right? right? We're not distracted on other stuff. There's not something to tend to, or I tend to hang out a lot in the kitchen where, which is also where they do their homework and the things that just pop up every day. And, and those, I guess I look at those as those are the pieces of connection um, with my kids, right? Versus the wah, 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 <laughs> you have to learn this lesson now. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Like the Charlie Brown teacher. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's the thing is, is I get such a kick out of my kids. And really, they can, they can be whoever they need to be. It's totally fine because they're fascinating. And, and I love having that kind of stance with them, you know? I really do. So here's a question. How about, like, this is all beautiful, right? But how about when they, they break a, a value or, or um, go past a boundary? How do you mm-hmm. handle that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my, my children both joke that they were both grounded, uh, but all of them, both of them were grounded for 24 hours, and I still took them out. So, um, like, my son was grounded one time, and, and I, but I made him go with me to his sister's softball game. So he said, but I really wasn't grounded. I'm like, no, but you were with me. So that was the difference. <laughs> and I, I think it is, is to say, you know, to be very clear, just like you would in the workplace. Here's what, here's the facts. Here's what happened. You know, here's, here's the facts. Here's what I think happened. What do you think happened? And then have them tell their side. Of, of whatever happened, whatever they were thinking of. Again, in a safe place that you're not down their throat, how could you, right? But like, here's the facts. You know, you were at the party at the house that's on the market that the kid, that all the furniture is out of. Not that this really happened, <clears throat> but, <laughs> well, actually this did happen. There was a, a house in my county in, uh, that the, the family had moved out because they had moved to a new house. The house was vacant their son decided to throw a party in the vacant house. 300 kids showed up. Somebody called the cops. The cops did a SWAT team thing where they surrounded the house. So there were cops at every door and every, every window, you know, but in a circle. So um, 43 children, students were arrested for alcohol violations. Um, my child actually happened to be able to get out in time and because she was in the yard when the cops started coming and she jumped the fence with some friends. <laughs> so she didn't, and she hadn't been drinking, but, she, but, but it prompted this conversation. Why were you at the party? You know, the facts are there was a party in an, in an empty house and the facts are that you were there. So my, my story is I'm wondering what you know, where in your judgment 
this became a really good idea. So tell me about that. And she talked and talked and talked. And then what do you think a good consequence for this would be? Because you broke several of our family rules. And she said what she said. And I said, okay, so you'll, you know, going to be grounded for the rest of the week. No going out, no going out this weekend kind of thing. And, and I, I'm not a parent that believes you take away stuff. You know, I don't think it's a consequence, you know, you take away unless the, unless the thing you're taking away is related to the violation of the family rules, you know, like texting at dinner or something like that. But I do think you need to, to have them understand what the consequences are and have them, you know, sort of say, hey, you know what, I'm going to be down with um, staying home the next week because I think I need to cool off. I've had my daughter say that. I think I need an excuse to not have to go out anymore. So if I say I'm grounded, it's going to be good. <laughs> you know? Because it's not about her not, you know, That's wanting right. to be a dorky teenager and stay home, right? right? That's how she could be perceived by her friends. But it's my mom is, you know, grounding me. And so therefore, I am home. Look, I always told my kids, throw me under the bus. Yep. You know, if you're at a party and someone says, do you want to do Molly? You could say, oh, my God, my mother would freaking kill me. No, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, throw me under the bus. I have to be home by midnight. My mother's going to, you know, freaking kill me. Because sometimes a kid needs a script mm-hmm. with uh, another kid if they're getting a lot of pressure. And I said, I will always be the, the bad guy if you need me to be the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Never, never worry about that. And believe me, they both used it more than once. <laughs> you know my mother. She'd skin me alive. <laughs> No, I, and that's something that I've I've definitely said to my kids, you know, I'm more than happy to be the bad guy for this. Um, but I, when as you were sharing that story, you know, you're so calm, Michelle. How do you not get angry? I mean, again, if I got angry, I mean, of course, I, I lose, I've lost my temper and will probably continue to lose my temper. But, you know, is anger going to move the ball forward? You know, is anger going to be a win-win? You know, is anger going to get me the end result that I need to get? Now, I'm not saying don't feel your emotions, but I also say the clarity in the moment to say, if I totally freaking blow my stack at this moment, is that going to build the relationship or tear the relationship apart? I I think you have to be conscious of, of that. Does that make sense to you? No, it makes total sense. I think the other thing though is, don't you think when you, that's a great question to ask yourself before you even walk in, right? You walk into that arena, that parenting arena where it's a tough place to be and knowing like, okay, we're going to have this hard conversation. What do I need to support me so that I can help build a relationship and I can set boundaries versus get overtaken by emotions? Right. So, you know, and I think having kind of that plan of like, okay, what is it I need? How can I remind myself? Maybe it's a mantra that you say. Maybe it's, um, you know, okay, I've heard this. Now I need to step away. I'll be back in 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, because sometimes I think for me, I just need space. So I don't just react and I can come back and think it through. Um, We always had a, we've had a thing in our family since my kids were really small, which is the 24 hour rule. And at first it became like the, the byword we used at Target. So someone would see something that they definitely had to have at Target. And I would just look and I would say the 24-hour rule, which means we're not going to buy it now. But if in 24 hours it's still something that you really want, we'll revisit it. It got to the point where my children would say, I really want, my son would say, I really want that Nerf machine gun. And then he'd look at me and he'd say, but I'm going to do the 24-hour rule, mm-hmm. right? But even in a, in a contentious or difficult conversation to say, you know what, right now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put in the 24-hour rule. We're actually not going to talk about this again for 24 hours so we both have time to reflect on it. You know, if you know Myers-Briggs, um, introverted people need time to get their thoughts together. So if you know you're dealing with an introvert, this kind of 24-hour rule thing is super. Unless it's something that just has to be decided today. But... If we can just like put the 24-hour rule in place, we're going to revisit this again tomorrow night at dinner. Let's just go about our business. That can be a really helpful way to diffuse a tense situation. 
I think that's a great idea. I used to, I must have gotten it from you because I used to use that 24 hour rule with making decisions. I just said, I need 24 hours because sometimes I would make a decision just really quickly. Um, and, uh, instead of really thinking it through. And so for a while I was like, Oh, I have this new policy. <laughs> I wait 24 hours and I don't remember where I got it, but it must have been from you. Uh, and it worked really great in helping me give myself space because I had this belief that, well, I have to do it right now. I have to do it right away or get, get it done so that it's one thing less that's on your, in your inbox or in your to-do list. And, um, and now I just, I think I go about living more with more space and realizing that I don't have to answer this email right now. I can think about it. Right. You know, it, like even with that interview that I was talking about, maybe it was on the other show, but about when it was, when I was asked, I saw it, but I couldn't get to it for many hours because I was doing a half day intensive that day and I had some clients to work with. So until after my day was wrapped, did I go back to it? And that was okay. And if the opportunity didn't exist, it would be okay. And I remember having that kind of subtle conversation with myself. So I like that 24-hour rule when things can be heated or there could be a trigger, especially when it's with your kids. Because with, with our kids, I think they can trigger a lot of our stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. So final thoughts on raising grounded, authentic children. We talked about space, right? Holding that space, loving themselves so they can loving them and giving them the space to really be fully themselves. Um, what else? We talked about values. Um, we help, talked about helping them develop their own re- sense of resilience, their own sense of their own capacity, their own capability. Um, I think that's really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think being a good listener as a parent, you know, listening more than you tell is, is really important. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's a really good one. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for uh, talking about this. I think there's a lot of good uh, food for thought for the parents out there and the listeners out there. And, uh, you know, like I've said before, we're, we're, we're two women making our way in the world. And um, the big thing is having empathy for yourself because you're going to screw it up. You practice it, you screw it up, you circle back and you go and you practice again and you learn from it. Instead of, um, I could have a lot of regret and remorse on parenting mistakes that I made. And instead, if I can just turn, but that only just creates me want to hide and not show up. And so it's like, okay, well, what can I do? How can I learn from this? You know, how can I, you know, go back to creating the relationship that I want and, um, and building that connection? You know, you're a wise, wise woman. And even though you're making your way in the world, I think you're doing it with a lot of class and a lot of presence. And it's just a pleasure to know you. If I haven't said that recently, I just want to say it out loud and for posterity. It's it's a pleasure to know you. Well, thank you, Michelle. That means a lot. Okay. So getting grounded back from that conversation and also just with that high compliment. And before I go into this wrap up about raising grounded, authentic children, one of the things that I've been thinking about, because I'm doing this wrap up a day after the interview or the conversation with Michelle, but is how how are you at receiving, right? So Michelle is obviously somebody that I respect. She's a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, and I really respect her. And I've taken, as you've heard, a lot of her parenting nuggets and practice living them in my own life. So she's somebody I respect and admire. And then for somebody like that to give me that compliment at the end, it took my breath away. And I just want you to think about, I'm sure this interview has the potential for lots of triggers. Like, oh crap, I'm not doing it good. She's so much better, right? I mean, that was sometimes the voice that was happening in my head of, wow, look at how Michelle parents and look at how I parent. Anytime we go into comparison, it's just going to be a beast that we deal with. We get into compare and despair right? Where we have shame triggers that come up. And then it's that voice of, I'm not good enough. You know, who the hell do I think I am? And think about that. When you have those voices going on in your head, how do you show up? So if it's in the parenting arena, are you showing up or are you shrinking? Right. And that's the part that like, as she and I were talking, it was like, okay, what is it that I want to build? What is it that I want to create? How can I, and this is the thing that I constantly practice in my own parenting? What can I circle back? So maybe I blow it. Maybe I lose it. How can I circle back? Because my ultimate goal is to connect with my kids and to have this relationship that will continue to grow and flourish even once they leave my home. 
right? Even once they move on and they become independent adults, how can they have this safe place now and then continue to have that so we can cultivate this relationship? So for me, it's always about being able to circle back and own it, right? And then and finding ways so that maybe the next time I can do it better instead of, you know, repeating the same old patterns or repeating, you know, stuff from my own family of origin of how it was done. Maya Angelou has a saying of your, your parents did the best that they could with what they knew. And when you know better, you do better. And that's been something that's been really helpful for me is that really getting that understanding of why my parents did what they did. It wasn't because they were bad people or any of that. They had really good intentions. And a lot of it was based on their values or their cultural beliefs about how the world worked. When I can sit there from a place of understanding like my mom's value of why perfection was so important, culturally, that was part of the world that she grew up in. That was her conditioning. I can look at that and go, oh, that makes sense. My mom had really good intentions. She didn't realize that maybe the ramifications for me, right? And that's the thing is that we don't realize the ramifications, but what can we learn and how can we grow and then change things so that it works for us? Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about is the raising kids from lack. And Michelle does this so beautifully. And it's always been something through the years that I would just watch her do. And I would even ask her, like, if a child was making a decision, like, how do you, how do you trust that it's going to be okay? Because so often we go into lack or we go, I mean, we hang out as parents in that neighborhood of compare and despair. We absolutely hang out. This kid's doing this or this kid's doing that. And then our kids hang out. Well, this kid has an iPhone. This kid has Ugg boots. I mean, there's this constant barrage, right? We're constantly in that neighborhood of compare and despair instead of looking at what is it we have? What are our family values? And so in the work that I do with my clients, it's about getting out of those shame roots of lack. That's scarcity, right? Those sit in the same seats as shame and moving to getting rooted in a place of well-being and then taking action. So like when we go into the store, it's not, oh, we can't afford this. It's we choose to spend our money on X. And a lot of times, you know, I struggle with my kids have a way different lifestyle than I did where it is a choice. I could buy them X that they want, but it's not aligned with our family values. Is there money in the bank? Absolutely. But the the product isn't aligned with our family values. And so, you know, an easy way I've, I've had friends do it was, oh, well, we just can't afford that. Or do you know how much money that is? And that can trigger a lot of shame, right? Or the message can be, we're teaching people not to, our children not to ask for what they want. And as a listener on the show, as a newsletter subscriber, you know, I talk about the permission to ask. So how do we teach people to cultivate learning how to ask without it being a demand dressed as a question? And I think that comes from, at least in my experience and what I've been practicing with four kids, and I've screwed it up so many times, you guys. I am not sitting here as a parenting expert. I'm sitting here as a woman who is making her way through the world. And one of the things that I really work hard in doing, especially in this second uh, group that I'm raising of children, is not to be rooted in lack. It's not, oh, we can't afford it. It's what do we choose? Or, you know, we don't have time. Like I really, over the last eight or 10 years, try to get rid of that saying, like, I don't have time of, instead it's about what do we choose to spend our time with? You know, what are, what are the things that are aligned with our priorities? What are the things that are aligned with our values? And getting that story of we don't have time. Again, when I'm rooted in a place of scarcity, I shrink, I shrivel up, I hide, I get scared. When I'm rooted in my ground being and I'm, and I'm strong, my ground being, my well-being, when I'm rooted in my place of well-being, right? That's when I can flourish and grow. And that's where I can take courage to do a monologue or like today, do an intro before the show, right? So it's about me getting into that place. If I were in that scarcity moment of, you know, who the hell do I think I am? There's all these other podcasts or radio show, da-da-da-da. Why would I have anything to say? I wouldn't take action. So I have to clean up that and get move over and get rooted right? And the same thing with parenting. If we can get rooted in our place of well-being, if we can raise our kids from this place, you know, some of you may, and I'm not the big fan of the word abundance, but in this place of well-being, that there are going to be opportunities. I see this all the time in the sports world, in this race to nowhere in academics. And I've had the director of race to nowhere on, and I've, we've, I've had John Sullivan, we've talked about the race to nowhere in sports, 
right? One of the most powerful marketing maneuvers in academics or in sports is to come from a place of scarcity. You market towards that, parents will jump through the hoops like no other. I'm usually trying to calm the parents down, right? It's okay. We ha- Let's take a look at this over, your daughter may be 14, but let's look at this over the next 10 years. Where are they right now? Instead of looking at it right now, where are they compared to another 14-year-old? What is the development stage of your child, right? So not looking at from lack, but looking at who that child is. What are your family values, right? I, those are just the, the really big things that are important. Now, here's something that I've just been kind of uh, thinking about just because of stuff that I've been involved with. Sometimes we can use our values to hide, to not to not show up, to not be seen, to not be great. And then we get complained about the outcome. So um, if we have it as a family value that we don't want to do, we'll say sports, for instance, and that's fine. But then to complain that your kid doesn't get to be a part of that environment, that is a choice. So thinking about what choices that you make and why are you saying you don't want to do competition, right? Like, I don't think that if you do competition, you're a better person, right? What are your family values? Like if you do sports, one of our family values is that we think movement's really important, being a part of a team. You know, I think it's one of the opportune or areas in my children's life to dip, to learn so much about life, right? It's a safe arena where they can practice cultivating courage. Um, some people, I know there's a lot of judgment in my community because they'll look at my family and say, oh, well, you guys are really competitive. And it's kind of funny because the areas that I'm really competitive are not what people think. It's not so much in, um, you know, yes, I was a national champ, but it's not so much in that. Sometimes I get competitive when I get snarky <laughs> about stuff. It's like, you think you, I can't do that? Let me show you. And that's not a great place. But I look at success in such different ways, right? And, but a lot of people, and I just had this conversation um, with some moms recently, they'll think that I'm really competitive because my family and what we do. Um, and that's, in some ways, I'm like one of the least competitive people in my family. There is competitive genes in me, but it was always about what's possible for me. How can I stand up? How can I live brave? How can I allow my heart to sing? And that's what I look at with you know, when we can, when we can use our values as our guiding light and what are our family values to help our kids flourish and whatever it may be, I'm not saying it has to be the best or you have to be the valedictorian or, you know, sign with this college or be the top recruit in the country, right? That's like, what topping do you put on your ice cream? But about what are your family's values? Like for me, it's like, how can I get my kids to cultivate courage? How can they learn personal responsibility? How can they challenge themselves to see what level of excellence that they can aspire to. You know, that that is within healthy range, right? We're not going to sacrifice our values just for achievement. So the more that we can be grounded as we move forward, I think becomes really important in our parenting. And then going back to having empathy and circling back because we're going to practice empathy. We're going to practice compassion with our kids and we're going to screw it all up right? So we own it. I own it all the time. I own it with my athletes. I own it with my clients. I own it with you guys. I own it with my family. And then I look at what can I do different? I'm constantly reflecting and going, okay, what can I learn from this and how can I move forward? Client this week came up with a great compassionate question of how can I help myself, right? I love that. So, and then finally, I want to just remind us because, you know, I'm like, miss fix it. Let me, you have a problem, let me fix it, right? And one of the things I've had to learn is how can I hold space versus fixing it, especially for my kids? How can I hold space so that you can process it instead of me jumping in and fixing it and making it easy? And gosh, isn't it so easy to just jump in and fix it and do it yourself than to spend that time and energy helping them figure it out, right? And I know that like that's one of my, that'd be my fallback of this is why I need to fix it because I can get this done myself. When I first started coaching the collegiate men and we were at conference championships and it was a year after I was done with my career and they were having such a hard time and they're struggling. And part of me was like, oh my gosh, let me just get up on the blocks and like do it for you. Let me just take care of it and get it done, right? Because the anguish that was going on inside of my body was just painful. And so I just wanted to fix it for them. And 
what I've had to learn, and it's been a great thing for me to help with my own kids, is that it wasn't about me stepping up. Yes, I could get it done. I could fix it for them. But it was about me holding that space and helping guide them through this process. And I think about that a lot in parenting. How can we hold the space so that they can go through this to develop resiliency and hope? I hope that you're signed up for my weekly newsletter. I write a piece every week that's only available in the newsletter, or usually only available. And I love to create communications. And thank you so much for your emails. They really mean a lot to me. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide awake.